This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, how's it going? I'm so good, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to do your intro now because, you know, I always have to come through with the, the fire intro, let the people know what's going on on Role Model this week. Hey everyone, it's Leomi Anderson and of course we are back with another episode of my podcast, Role Model. Today we are joined by the amazing activist, advocate, yoga instructor, podcaster, author and obviously all-round role model, Jessamine Stanley. She breaks down her role as a body positivity activist on social media. I was bullied a lot when I was in middle school especially and I really feel like all of those experiences allowed me the space to become very confident in myself because I did not have a lot of people telling me at a young age like, yes, what you're doing is great. We dig deep into how she became a conscious cannabis advocate. I probably would never have talked about being a cannabis user had I not realized like the role that my silence plays in the persecution of other human beings. Part of it was that people would ask me like, when did you start to feel better about yourself? Like, what do you do? And so I found myself talking about yoga quite a bit and I was like, yeah, but I never talk about smoking weed and that is a huge part of how I'm keeping it together. And we chop it up about what it's really like to be a black yoga practitioner in a predominantly white industry. I don't feel like, wow, I've reached this peak of confidence. I feel like I am walking alone, like I'm, I walk by myself and that when it is amazing to me whenever there are other people who are like, I feel you, like I want to walk alone, but like near you so we can like walk together. This is the wonderful Jessamine Stanley. Thank you so much for having me. I am so in the reality of my life. You know what I mean? Like where you're like doing the things that I need to do to live my life. I'm not thinking about being an activist, author, advocate. So I was listening to that. I was like, who's she talking about? Is that me? She's talking about me. Oh, that's me. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Yes, this is great. But I understand that. I understand that because, you know, you're just like me, you know, where you're just like, you're just living your life, you're doing what you need to do. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, you're an activist, you're this, you're that. And you're just like, oh, is that like what it's called? That's exactly right. It's literally just like, oh, wow. I didn't even realize that like just being a human being and doing what the universe calls you to do then results in being called. Like, it's like so much of this work is coming from a place of necessity and like it just has to be. It's not even about like trying to be different or trying to break the mold. It's just like, I'm just here. It's nice to be able to talk to somebody who gets that. So like, I feel you. Definitely. So like, you're so confident. Like, what were you like when you were growing up? Like, where did you, when did you find your confidence? When did you begin to find yourself in your voice? You know, I have always been a little bit weird and I never had a lot of friends when I was a kid. I wanted to have friends. It's not because I did not try to have friends. I just never was. Um, I didn't get invited to the sleepovers. I wasn't that kid who was like really 
popular. I was reading a book usually. I spent a lot of time by myself. And also, I was bullied a lot when I was in middle school, especially. And I really feel like all of those experiences allowed me the space to become very confident in myself because I did not have a lot of people telling me at a young age, like, yes, what you're doing is great. So I had to believe that for myself. And I've often found that, like, it is so beneficial to have the experience of people not liking you because then you kind of have this question that comes up where it's like, so you can either quit now or you can keep going. And I've just consistently decided to keep going. I think it would be ridiculous for me to say like, you know, I don't, I don't ever feel confident, but like, I mean, honestly, like, I don't feel like, wow, I've reached this peak of confidence. I feel like I am walking alone like I'm I walk by myself and that when it is amazing to me whenever there are other people who are like I feel you like I want to walk alone but like near you so we can like walk together because I'm like yes this is amazing and that's so much of what social media has offered me and also um, starting my wellness community the underbelly like being able to be in community with other people who have the same experience or who have felt like outcasts for whatever reason but at the same time like there's still this knowledge of like you know this could all be gone tomorrow and I could be I could be walking 100% by myself again. And that kind of charges me forward to just be like, I'm just going to do this. And I'm going to dance wild. And other people might look at me and be like, she's being so weird. Like, this is too much. And I'll just be like, it's cool. And you're living in your own truth and you're walking your own path. And like, you're like, cool, I'm going to do this. And then hopefully if people want to join me or if they're inspired by what I'm doing, cool, great. But you're doing it for yourself. And that to me is like the beauty of your existence and the community that you've created. And I want to know as well, like, why was it so important to you to take space in the digital world and create um, the Underbelly app? You know, to be honest, like, I think that if I had not gotten on social media when I did, I probably would not have. Like, I was a live journal Tumblr kid. Like, I've been on, like, blogging to some degree since I was in high school, Same. middle school, maybe even. It, right, totally. So it's just like, it's just the way that we communicate. And like, after I dropped out of graduate school and decided to move to a new town and just start a whole new life, I had no plan. I had no money. I didn't have a job. Like, and for a while, I was just trying to like figure out how to make ends meet. And then when I actually like found a place to live and had some space to myself, I started practicing yoga at home because I had been practicing yoga in studios and it had given me so much confidence and opened up so much within myself. I thought of it as like my spiritual medicine. I was going through a really hard time in my life and I was just like, this is a place that I can retreat. And like, I didn't know that many yoga poses. I only knew a few and I would just practice the few that I knew. But then over time, I became a little bit more obsessed with it and I would like would learn more. And I started taking photos of my yoga practice and sharing them on Instagram. And this was back whenever Instagram like first came out. There really weren't that many people on there, but there were some yoga people on 
there. And the yoga people who were on there were just like very serious practitioners and teachers who were just trying to connect with other people because it is very alienating and isolated to practice yoga by yourself at home. And I just wanted to feel like I was a part of that community. And I really did not have that many, like pretty much no yoga people would connect with me. You're a Black queer woman taking up space in this very like white dominated industry. Like how do you navigate that? There was a period like a few years ago where I thought about not posting on social media anymore, or at least not posting about my yoga practice anymore. Because I felt like yoga and social media, they ask of you completely opposite things. Like yoga is saying, look within yourself for the answers. Do not look outside of yourself. Social media is saying, look outside yourself. Do not look inside <laughs> yourself. Care very much what other people think. Like it's all about the likes. It's all about the follows. And so I was just like, I don't feel like this is serving my yoga practice. And I also feel like it's sharing an, an idea of yoga that I don't want to be sharing, that, that doesn't feel true to me. It has been so just transformative for me to be able to be like, you know what, I'm just going to post it. And if somebody doesn't like it, that's their choice. And it doesn't have to be about whether or not brands will see it and think like, oh yeah, we could work with her. Like, it's not about, it's not about how anyone else is engaging with it. It's just like, is this my true life? And that to me is what a yoga practice actually is. It's it's all the stuff. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And especially as a fat Black queer person who, if I don't tell my story, no one is going to tell my story. Like I have to be able to really own every piece of myself, especially the parts that, honestly, that white supremacy would just kind of blot out and pretend they're not there or act like it's something else. And so I feel a responsibility, especially working in an industry that is so overwhelmingly white, so fat phobic, like deeply homophobic, like all of these different things that make it where if you don't speak loudly, you're really limiting opportunity for other people to speak loudly as well. But don't you sometimes feel pressure though? Like being that person that people are looking to, to like take up space, always be switched on, always be positive, always be ready to have something to say. Like, how do you deal with that? Especially now, like as an entrepreneur, having these, like the, the underbelly is a wellness community. It is a wellness community that has infrastructure wherein I am at the top of the infrastructure. So like having people that are now that I'm accountable to and that like, this is something that is so much bigger than me. Yeah. I definitely feel a lot of pressure and that is why legit, like I, that's why I live in North Carolina. It's why I like unplug as much as I can, like why I have specific hours of the day that I I'm on social media. I have a lot of boundaries, honestly, boundaries that I probably at this point, I'm not even really noticing, but like things that whenever people are trying to convince me to feel otherwise, like convince me to feel like, oh my God, what about the likes? Oh my God, what about the follows? Like all of these different <laughs> things. It's just like, I literally am like tuning it out. To me, like you fight against discrimination on all levels. Why do you think as a society, we've gotten to this place where people think that they can just, you know, try and troll people online, drag people down online? Why do people feel like they can just like, you know, spew their negativity without any sort of consequence? What do you think has gotten us to that point? And how do you think we're going to like get past that? 
Oh my God, people are so sad. I was working with somebody just recently. Um, she's talking about how she's from Australia and she was saying that like being in the US and like seeing how people are so sad. She was like, how else would people act other than this? So like people are miserable. They're just trying to find happiness wherever they can. And I was like, that is the epitome of everything. That is why people troll. It's why people feel like they can say literally whatever they want to. Capitalism does not support the people that live in communities. If you are struggling to any degree, which we all are, and like if you feel like you can't find any modicum of control, modicum of control, you are just going to reach for whatever you can. And for a lot of people that's scrolling on their phone and clicking on something that makes them upset and trying to create sadness because they are sad. I've been trolled so much. And honestly, this is the place where I'm very grateful for the experience that I had being bullied as a child, because that experience really taught me that like hurt people hurt people. And the biggest bully is suffering the most. Like that is the person who is the most sad, who really needs a hug. And also I'm grateful for that experience because I'm just like anything that people would say to troll me now, I'm like, Been that head you're like loud and late yeah I'm like, it's not even creative like you could be you could say more but this is as far as you okay whatever there's a lot happening these days but i have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time the seven from the washington post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories and we always try to save room for something fun you get it all in about seven minutes or less I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it. Been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show. But my listeners wanted to write the ad for me. And here are some of the things they said. 
not your regular juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. You have your own podcast, Dear Jasmine, which you do with your girlfriend. What inspired you to step into the podcasting world? I was in a scooter accident a couple years ago, and I have two partners. Uh, I'm polyamorous, and both of them were helping to take care of me during that time. And I talked about it a little bit on social media, just being like, oh, I'm, I'm grateful for these people who are holding me down, taking care of me. And I got all these questions from people who were like, you're polyamorous? What's that mean? What is What happens with this? What goes on? <laughs> and so I was trying to answer it on my Instagram and in stories. But then I was like, there are a lot of people who are asking about this. Like, I think we should do it in a way where more people than who follow me on Instagram can connect with that. And so we started Dear Jessamine with just wanting to answer these this like very specific series of questions that that I'd been asked about polyamory and what it is to really like be in committed partnership with multiple people and then that evolved into share our lives so my producer my creative collaborator is also my girlfriend we are also like our lives have expanded and grown since we started the show and so dear jessamine is really just about us sharing our lives and that our lives are not necessarily what you would see in the mainstream but at the same time like are so normal and basic and relatable that like it's it's sharing that like we're all the same all human beings are the same and for me on a personal level it's also an extension of my yoga teaching because I think that my partners have been some of the most important and incredible yoga teachers that I've ever had. They really teach me about what it is to be present in the moment, what it is to balance, like how, what it is to fall down and get back up, all of these things that like are really what yoga is about in the end. They're always showing me and teaching me. And I was like, that's what yoga really is. I think that a lot of times people get obsessed with the postures or even getting obsessed with meditation or breath work. And really the practice is about finding what you find in a pastoral practice or in a breath work or in meditation when you're in every other moment of your life as well. So the the yoga of everyday life is really what makes it go. How do you feel about opening up to the public about so many like intimate parts of your life and then like balancing that with then the trolls, with then like the dynamic of like the curation of social media and all these sort of things? Like how does this all fit in together into the wonderful world of Dear Jasmine? Because I I find that hard even being in my own relationship and balancing like how much to show, how much to not show, etc. Honestly, some things just choose themselves. I had a complete emotional breakdown when we were in the booth. I was like, I cannot 
like I was just like, I, I don't know if I can record right now, but also like, and we were recording when it was happening. And like, there's just so much going on in, in my life, in my girlfriend's life, in my other partner's life, in my other partner's partner's life. Like there's just so much going on in, in our house that I'm like, how are we just casually recording a podcast in this closet right now? Like I, this does not seem okay. But at the same time, like, that's what life is, is that, is just trying to keep going in the face of that. And I felt like this is something that is worth sharing with other people. Like, this feels like, like, if there's someone, anyone who has ever felt any of the emotions that I was feeling that day, that they could listen to that and be like, yes, Okay. And especially as an entrepreneur, especially as someone who's like out here, as someone who's seen as a role model, like I felt like it's important for me to just be at myself as much as I can. And I think that it is so much more complicated whenever it's your relationship is involved and like you're sharing parts of your the most intimate parts of your personal life with other people. I'm sure that even in ways that I'm not quite aware of, there's a certain amount of curation where it's like, yeah, these things we can talk about and these other things, maybe we don't talk about them. And I feel like through all of my work, through Dear Jessamine, through We Go High, through The Underbelly, through Yoke, through Everybody Yoga, it's all like just making space for other people to see themselves and to feel represented and to feel like, yes, I might be... I might be wearing my shit backwards and walk, falling down half the time, but I'm still doing it. And that to me feels worthwhile. You're just inspiring people with just being authentically yourself and your campaign, We Go High and See. So let's talk about that. Talk to me about the connection between cannabis consumption and prison abolition. Like wrap my head around everything that you're doing with that, please. I probably would never have talked about being a cannabis user had I not realized like the role that my silence plays in the persecution of other human beings. People would ask me like, when did you start to feel better about yourself? Like, what do you do? And so I found myself talking about yoga quite a bit. And I was like, yeah, but I never talk about smoking weed. And that is a huge part of how I'm keeping it together. And it felt dishonest at a certain point. I'm like, I'm not even telling people what's good. And so I was like, okay, why am I not telling people what's up? Because I'm afraid. Because I live in a state where it is illegal. It's not something that people just talk about out in the open. And then I would visit all these places where it is legal and people were still being sketchy about it. They don't talk about it. Like, what is all of this about? And I realized that my silence is me being complacent. It's me co-signing on that system. It's me saying like, yeah, I'm okay with this. And I just realized I'm not okay with this. And my girlfriend felt the same way. And we started We Go High because we feel like as long as there are people who are legally profiting from this plant, there's no reason that anyone should be in prison for it. And we realized that the role of cannabis justice in prison abolition, it's like it is the linchpin in so many different ways. Like if you 
abolish this system wherein anyone can be incarcerated for having this plant, that is going to dramatically reduce the number of people that are in prison. And then if you take that a step further and we say, okay, so what's good with prison anyway? <laughs> like, is this really something that, is this the best way to be like handling this? Like, I think there's a need for us to revisit all of the systems and we go high seas the the empowerment of each individual cannabis user as an integral part of deconstructing that system. So we really advocate for cannabis users to come out of the closet, to talk to the people in their community, and whether that's, it might be your home community, it might be your family, it might be your coworkers, it might be the person, your neighbors, literally whoever. Just being able to like feel confident and comfortable talking about the medicine that you use that transforms your life and that makes it possible for you to be happy and whole and to not feel ashamed of that. We think the stigma is the the thing that we really have to end. Yes. And I definitely feel that most of the stigma comes because like weed has been something that it's been kind of marketed as something that black people do who don't have jobs and da, 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 and all this sort of shit and it's just ridiculous because even in like the modeling industry like a lot of models smoke weed like I smoke weed you know like you it's something that for me I don't drink I'm not a drinking type of person that doesn't that's not my thing but like mentally I know for a fact that cannabis has been something that's helped a lot of girls but I feel like it's almost like if a girl is out here like an alcoholic taking pills everything blah blah that is rock star as long as they're like white or whatever then that's rock star and that's fine they're coming to work and they're drunk they're not well they have a substance abuse problem and that's rock star but like god forbid like a black model says that she like might smoke weed that's when agents would first would be like don't tell anybody that you do that you can't post it you can't do this you can't do that da, da, da. and it's like this is something that is literally legal. Like I'm in LA right now, it's legal here. And like, people would still be like, oh, you smoke weed? Like, it's like, oh my God. But I'm like, your friend is taking crack. Literally. <laughs> You're like, this, I mean, like legit alcohol poisoning, like the liver damage, like the drunk driving accidents. There's so many it like launch first and secondhand effects of alcohol abuse. And I actually, I really don't care. I'm like, literally do whatever you want. I'm just saying like, if we're using these rules for how people should engage with things, it's just so interesting to me the way that prohibition exists because the prohibition politics have been so strong that you don't even really have to say anything on a international scale anymore. Like you, people will do the work for you on a local scale. Last but not least, because as I've listed at the very beginning of this podcast, activist, advocate, and the third A author, you have your new book coming out. Talk to me about it. Talk to me about yoke, my yoga of self-acceptance. I tell you, I literally pitched this book four years ago. And I said, my publisher was like, how long do you think it'll take you to write it? And I was like, oh, it'll take me like a year. And I remember my editor was like, do you really think it will only take you a year? And this was right around the same time that I was like starting the underbelly and doing all these different things. And I was just like, yeah, you know, take me about a year. It's no big deal. So four years later, the book is coming out. And I was like, oh my goodness. I literally like, 
I knew that I needed to write this book while I was writing my first book, Everybody Yoga, because in Everybody Yoga, I talk about how to start a yoga practice from scratch. So you can pretty much go, if you start reading that book, by the time you finish it, you'll, you'll be practicing downward facing dog and be practicing yoga. Like, but I realized that that book gives a relatively one dimensional understanding of yoga. It's very much about like, the postures and the supplies that you need and things like that. The first questions that you ask. But once you actually start practicing yoga, you realize that it's not really about postures or anything. It's really just about connecting with your breath, that every posture is an opportunity to breathe better, to breathe more uh, fully, and that that breath always leads to meditation. And that when you are meditating, Uh, which you can do in any part of your life. You meditate in conversations with other people. You meditate in moments of road rage, like literally all the time. And that in that, there's all kinds of other stuff that comes up. And that that stuff, that what I call the yoga of everyday life, that practice is way more profound and connects you to people that you will never meet. And I wanted to talk about the themes that have come up in my own practice. And so I knew that I was going to want to talk about racial identity and what it means to accept my own internalized racism. I knew I wanted to talk about cultural appropriation and about the way that cultural appropriation is totally normalized in the yoga world and that I know this personally because I am a person who culturally appropriates yoga. And I wanted to talk about slut shaming and slut shaming myself and um, not being able to accept my own experiences with sexual assault and like really wanting to talk about this yoga that like I I read I read all these books about yoga and nobody talks about these things so I was like I want I want to have a book where we actually talk about that and where anyone who reads it whether you look like me or look literally absolutely nothing like me that you can see and say I see myself in this person. And if she's accepting herself, then maybe it's okay for me to accept myself as well. Oh, see, I can't wait. I need to get my hands on a little copy. You want to know what? Like my mom's been practicing yoga now for like 20 years. She's been to India, everything. Like she's, yeah, yeah, she's been to Goa. She's done, she's very much like, you know, she just loves it. And I just love how happy it makes her and how at peace it's made her. And she's just like such a great mom. And I feel like yoga's also like helped to be able to be a more present mom and be as amazing as she is. But I'm just still figuring out for myself, like I'm going to read your book, basically. I'm going to read it and I'm going to, that's basically all I'm saying is because I just need to figure out how it like, how to like put it into my life. Because when you're on a hamster wheel, it's so hard to like get off. When I'm focused on something, I'm like, I feel like I can't even like look to the side. I'm like, no, I want to achieve this goal. I want to do this. I want to do that. But I do need to learn to take time for myself. To finish up, can you give us all just like one piece of advice for someone like me? Where do we start as individuals to get into yoga? My biggest tip literally is to just start from where you are today. Do not try to like, don't be like, oh my God, I'm going to do yoga every day for the rest of my life. No, this your life is long, hopefully. And just don't worry about that. Just try to think about today mm-hmm. and this present moment and like start with one posture. I feel like if you start with, let's say, coming onto hands and knees 
and let that be your posture. And then like once you come onto hands and knees, you'll be like, I could practice cat pose. I could practice cow pose. And maybe you look that up on YouTube. My other tip would be try to use free resources Mm. as long as you possibly can. Like do not spend money on it. You will eventually want to subscribe to the underbelly. That is great. And that is forthcoming. In the beginning, just go on YouTube. There's so many free resources, like find a pose that you're like, yeah, I'm gonna work on this pose. And then once you're practicing that pose, then you'll be like, well, I could do more. And then you'll just gradually start adding on. And before you know it, you're practicing yoga for like two hours and you don't even know how it happened. But if I could say one thing to anyone who's listening to this, it is that you are important exactly as you are right now. What you can bring to this world, no one else can bring. And we all need for you to be yourself. And I don't know if maybe no one today or maybe ever has told you this, but I am grateful for you and I love you and I really hope the best for you. And I know that what you can do is needed by this world. And with that, Jasmine, I have to say thank you so much for coming on this episode of Role Model. I can't wait to read your book, to read Yoke. Thank you so much for having me. It has really been a pleasure being here with you. It's so great to be in community and to connect. Role Model is a Something Else production produced by Harriet Wells. Additional production from Steve Ackerman. The executive producers are Claire Solon and Chris Skinner. Special thanks goes to Ellen McLeod, Charlotte Tahira, Camilla Baden, Jesse Donnelly, Emma Lansden, and Mark Rivers. The sound engineer was Gulliver Tickle. 